17 seconds, swing arm back. We have guidance internal. 10, 9, 8, ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. All engines running, commit, liftoff. We have... Yo, 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 we're checking, we're testing. We're checking and we're testing. We're checking, we're testing. We get the mic right up on here. Right up on here. Right up on here. We got the mic right up on here. We're going to turn it down because it's a little hot. It's a little bit hot. You know, it's a little bit hot. We're getting a little bit hot tonight. Welcome back to the podcast, Loose Movements, the audio podcast. You motherfuckers aren't getting video from me. You ain't getting no video from me. What do you think this is video for you? No. Children, this is called theater of mind. Little thing they invented in my day back in the 50s. You know? In the 50s diner I hung out in the 1970s. The 1970s shopping mall in fucking, you know, Ann Arbor, Michigan, circa 1990, you know. There's a 50s themed diner in this mall that was built in the 70s that I went to in the 90s, you know. I still go there to this day, but that 50s diner is now a, a, a generic protein salad bowl place, you know. So now I'm back here in my office. I'm in the fucking snake pit over here. I got the, 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 the artwork up on the walls, the paintings. I got my sunglasses on. I'm taking on affects, personas, making considerations, trying to make moves, not really moving at all. But I'm talking into this microphone and I'm providing yet another loose movement for you. And this time, it's in the present. It's 2023, dog. It's 2023, dog. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do in 2023? You ever think about that while you're stirring your frap? I say it again, stirring your frappuccino. You ever think about that? You ever think about what am I gonna do over this year? I'm gonna divide the year into four parts or three parts. You do quarters, you do trimesters, you, you do periods, whatever the fuck you wanna refer to it as, you know? Hopefully you're not referring to it with such vulgarity that, that you would, you know, offend those around you, but you just break it up in chunks. You know, me this year, I know I got a couple gigs up front, up, up front, at the front end of the year. You wanna watch some music in Detroit? You come, you come see Ethos. You come see us. We'll be at the Ferndale Library. 
February 10th, 7.30 p.m., baby. Let me say that again, 7.30 a p.m., a baby. We still got time for a show afterwards. You can go pick up, you know, you can go check out Avatar Water Planet. You know, Kevin Costner 3D or whatever. You can go watch Willow 2. The second concert series from Willow Smith's surprisingly competent, uh, you know, like decent enough band. I don't mind Willow Smith. I don't know why I thought I would. I think it's just something that's young to me. In the year 2023, truth be told, I will be 40 years old. As a 40-year-old, though, I, I don't know. She plays an Ernie Ball music man, one that uh, is basically the one that was made by St. Vincent. I don't know what the, I think it's the music man St. Vincent. She's got a really good backing band. Her guitarist, I can't remember her name, very young guitarist, kind of a luminary in the neo-soul kid virtuoso pantheon of our current era. (laughs) What a grandiose fucking sentence. How grandiose is that? Ethos will never be part of the Neo Soul Luminaries. We're a bunch of washed up 40, 50, and 60 year old dudes playing in together songs about people. Like two people. <laughs> you, you can fill in, you know, fill that in. You know, it could be fucking Bonnie and Clyde. It could be. Uma and Quentin. It could be uh, Garfield and Odie. It could be, you know, fucking Kathy Bates and, and, you know, Stephen King. Who knows? You tell me. You tell me. I'm going to sit back in this big old comfy leather chair and I'm going to say to you, you tell me. You ever have someone say that to you and it just sends like a shiver down your spine? Like you're at a party, you know, and there's like a piece of cake. And, you know, you're looking at that cake and you're imagining a pie chart. And you're thinking like, What are the chances I'm going to take this half of this pie? What what are the chances? And then you take, you know, you imagine that to be like, you know, part of the part of the pie. Oh my God, I fucked that up. Oh man. Oh, it's a good season. 
it's a good season for mucky, rainy, dead ass grass. Dead ass grass. Dead ass grass sounds like, you know, your dad's Grateful Dead cover band. You know, he's got a big ornate box he got from a, a sandals vacation in the Bahamas 29 years ago. And he keeps the shitty pot he buys from the kid who mows his lawn. And, uh, you know, they just crank out fucking trucking. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I'm familiar with the Grateful Dead. I'm familiar with, like, their oeuvre. Or I, I'm not as familiar with their oeuvre as I am with, like, just their vibe. And, like, being a guitar player, paying attention to Jerry Garcia, Bob Weir, who I think they left a D off of his name, um, and John Mayer now with Dead and Company. I listen to them, and I think, okay, this is interesting music. It's all right. It's fine. It's completely meandering. I hate it. Um, I cannot stand listening to this. Let me go get something to eat. I think I actually had something, you know, in the fridge that I enjoy a lot more than, than thinking about, much less listening to The Grateful Dead. But I respect it. And other people I like inexplicably seem to be uh, either respectful or either seem to be really into it or obsessed with it. So that's a head-scratcher for me. Um, but... I listen to the Grateful Dead and I just know there's certain tropes or certain little tricks of the trade that they do, but it's just bullshit music that I don't like, but there's a lot of it out there, you know, and, uh, you know, I know a lot of these dad bands aren't doing that. They're just. They're the people who are normally in the audience spinning, but they've decided to add a guitar into their hands while they're spinning and dancing terribly and wearing fucking Birkenstocks, you know? I don't know what to what to think or say about that. I think it's it's a good thing to have a counterculture. It's a good thing to have a group that you're a part of. Fuck, I wish I felt free, you know, as the people who are out there dancing. Not free to dance, but I wish I felt free enough to enjoy anything as much as those people enjoy just closing their eyes and just completely missing any connection with the pulse of the rhythm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man live in Detroit. I was reminded of that the other night during New Year's. I heard some gunshots and stuff going off to ring in the new year. Um, which is fun. It's fun. Life feels a little bit like TikTok sometimes, you know. TikTok was created for you and me in a lab 
where they study our emotions and the things that we respond to. And the lab is called our phones and our network of information and communication. Data is extracted from our phones and shit to tell us about behaviors to the techie shitheads who make more stuff for us to get addicted to and take money out of our wallets by buying dumbass merch from podcasts and mugs from whatever, $98 sectionals from Wayfarer. They're not on sale. You know, stuff like that. Whew, boy. You ever feel like you're losing it? Sometimes I truly think I am. Oh, I want to think on that. And then I don't. But I want to think on that. You ever just sit with yourself like this with a microphone and just talk into it and have to feel accountable to who knows what when you're doing that? But it's a nice mic, so you feel obligated to use the mic and have a podcast. I don't have friends, much less fans. I kind of became a grump over the the course of the pandemic, you know, the past couple few years have been really kind of <clears throat> shitty, you know, isolating and and um and I really don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to do anything. I want to you know, play music and I do with my band, but we play Mostly the same songs, you know, over and over and over because we have all these personnel changes, you know. We're finally at a stable place where we have like a really good sound. We have a good lineup of people, you know, a good rapport with one another. And we're kind of primed to do more. But keeping the momentum of doing that is hard because everybody's, you know, got their own lives. And when you're... In your 50s, you got a family, you know, and I'm the youngest and I don't have kids, but I'm married and, you know, our singer's not married, he's dating, but he's, you know, I, I'm not going to get into that, but there's different relationship dynamics that make a unified sort of push towards something, um, a significant challenge. And yet we do it. So I'm invested in that. Um, no question. I love my cat. I go to my job. I try to do the best I can there, but I often feel like I don't have any attention for things. You know? Partially because of, you know, the, the pod, the, the device you know, the, the iPhone, social media, podcasts, audiobooks, constant stream of shit music in my ears. Um, 
you know, editing videos, editing audio from rehearsal sessions, editing audio from gigs, putting together, you know, scouring the internet for like, for like post-structuralist art or cubist art or like, like mid-century modern architecture, um, you know, or cool photos, weird, obscure photos, retro futurist photos, or like 50s, 60s British, you know, mod and youth culture photos and videos and sort of developing an archive of like stills and videos and stuff from film to draw from. And that's a whole other universe. I'm trying to write, you know, a screenplay and then that splinters into like three different screenplay ideas and I have all of those down and I I stay committed every day to going in and writing a little bit more and I don't really know where it's going and I don't know how important it is that I know where it's going at all times I suppose I could outline but I didn't outline I'm just writing and as I do that I approach a sense of a, a, a work ethic around around the creation of of things I love to view and partake in. You know, I love music. I love film. Um, so being a shut-in during the pandemic, how do I serve those interests? You know, I... I do as much as I can with what little I have. I have Logic Pro, I have a guitar, I have a bass. I know how to program, you know, drums into a piano scroll. It's not even programming, it's pointing and clicking and understanding how to subdivide a measure and a beat to, to make drum parts, you know. And I, I do that and I write keyboard parts and I write guitar parts and sometimes sing over them and I just make demo music sometimes. I'll just take footage of my cat outside and I'll take it in and I'll write a little score that I think sounds good over the top of it. I'll make a little video and I'll put that out, you know, but it's, it's always this frenetic, fragmented, shattered sense of creativity that's impulsive and I'm trying to rein it in, you know, this podcast is part of that. Sometimes it's a discussion. Sometimes it's, you know, goofy comedy. Sometimes it's a fake comedy set, but all of this shit is contrived, you know? I can't make a film, so I take film snippets and I try to, you know, lace them together to practice editing. You know, it could be something as benign as my cat. It could be just, like, stuff that I can do with myself and with my phone camera to, you know, compose a scene. You know, and then I might use that scene if it strikes me as compelling enough as a function of the editing and maybe how it's shot. Um, maybe that will inspire me to write a narrative surrounding the power of those images, you know, in the form of a screenplay. So I'm, like I said, I'm writing screenplays. You know, I don't have other actors or like a director or a whole network of people that you would work with on a film, so I'm taking the notion of wanting to make a, f a feature film someday, and I'm breaking it down to first things first level, and I'm coming up with my own story.
and stories, and I don't fully know what they are yet. There's like two or three of them. And <clears throat> one of them is called Loner, and it's, ironically, it's about two um, people who, at the beginning of the film, kind of experience tragedy in some form and are down and out. And we trace and interspersed in that is a murder. Um, and the audience is invited to sort of see the implications of the behaviors of the characters in that film to decide um, their levels of, of guilt or involvement with said murder, I assume. I don't know, I'm about 20 pages into that one, and I'm not sure. I'm, I, I feel like that's the point where you just start to sink your teeth in if you're going to do a feature length. I'm just trying to work with whatever length I can. You know, so I have uh, another one that came to me that's just sort of about, it's sort of an absurdist thing. It takes place in like a, a subterranean like dirt world with humans living in it basically just riding around like worms um and it's shot almost like a diorama or a ant farm type you know vertical compressed column of sand that reveals you know the tributaries through which they travel um so i'm interested in in exploring things like that um you know kind of <clears throat> really surrealist imagery you know that would be like more like david lynch take his approach of you know filling out 70 index cards each index card is a scene by the time you have 70 index cards filled out you got 70 scenes you got a movie you know so like you could take that approach, I guess. I could, in fact, I could take that off my word processor and put it onto index cards and see how that plays out with that story, with the goal of shooting that eventually, but having uh, an economical way to get it down on on paper. That in this case lends itself to that sort of expressionistic um, style of storytelling where each scene is sort of a portrait that you've reduced on every level of conception, you know, from in your mind to the index card, um, as a singular thing, a scene, a unit of measure for your focus and attention <laughs> as a writer, and director so i have those things on my mind you know we're finishing our record ethos is finishing a record we've been working on it you know i've i've been working on it with them for three years now not continuously but in fits and starts and additions and subtractions um and through much band tumult so like I said, we're kind of settled now. We have a great bass player. He just finished his tracks on our record, and we're going to put it out. 
soon. We're going to have a single. We're going to have some singles I think we're going to release. I'm, I'm not exactly sure on that. More to come on that. You want to follow us on Instagram? You can find us at um, Detroit Ethos. That's all one one word. Detroit Ethos. E-T-H-O-S. <clears throat> no underscores or anything. Just all one word. Um, we'll have our dates up there. We've got the Ferndale gig in February. Um, let me see what else. There's some other stuff coming up. I believe we have Bolero, a bowling alley off of Coolidge and Royal Oak um, in March. Um, so I'm looking at what our other dates are going to be. Um, okay, so we've got we've got a Donovan's gig um, and we've got Labor Day at the Hamtramck Music Festival coming up. Um, and there's a coffee house in Hamtramck as well. Um, I think maybe Baker's Side Room too. Anyway, more, more about that. Um, you can find our link tree in our bio on Instagram there. And there's some information about our live dates. It's got a link to our YouTube, all of our social media presence and um, <clears throat> Bandcamp also if you'd like to buy um, some singles on there. We've got a couple older <clears throat> versions of things. Um, anyway, a renaissance is in order for Ethos and I'm working on awakening the writer in me with this screenplay thing. I'm watching a lot of films too. Fuck, what, a, what have I watched? I have the Criterion channel, which is absolutely outstanding. And I would highly recommend it if you like watching movies. Indeed, it is referred to as a movie lover's dream. Um, so I've watched all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, God, I've watched so many movies. Blood Simple, I've been, I went, I kind of kicked off watching movies again with like a Coen Brothers streak. As the weather kind of got cooler, I watched Fargo. I watched Blood Simple, um, No Country for Old Men. I often go back and rewatch. Um, I watched Robert Altman's McCabe and Mrs. Miller, which is um, an interesting kind of slow-moving film, but it's, it's beautiful. It's like a whole world unto itself that I really suggest you you watch. Robert Altman, I was unaware I was already familiar with through Gosford Park, which is a great film that I remember seeing back in the day. Um, the Illusionist, which is directed by Sylvain Chomet. It came out in 2010, and I was completely unaware of this. It's the same guy who did The Triplets of Belleville, which is one of my favorite films of all time. It's just 
it just, I feel like I'm stepping into a cheese and wine shop every time I, I watch that, you know, it's like, it, it seems like it reeks of France or something like that. I don't know. And I like, I like how that feels. I like that style of animation and I love the soundtrack. I love the accordion. I watched only lovers left alive, Jim Jarmusch film. And I, on second watching, I, I didn't recall how many specific references to like guitar gear there were in it, but it was funny to me. Um, if you're like a guitar nerd, who's also on YouTube, how kind of cringy or, or Reddit for that matter, there's a subreddit called guitar circle jerk that I get a real kick out of that just absolutely roasts YouTube guitarists who I, you know, I watch their content. I like guitars, so stuff, you know, I play guitar. So anything that has a guitar in it is generally interesting to me, you know, or at least that's the attitude I had up until say 2018, you know, when I like kind of burned out watching guitarists on YouTube and Instagram and you start noticing tropes, you know, like every British guitarist wants to be John Mayer. They, every, every guy in Britain who's like 25 years old gets his hair cut and has the same wardrobe and same, you know, relic Fender Stratocaster as John Mayer, you know, and it becomes a meme and it becomes quite flat. And it's, you know, unless, unless you're talking about like someone like animals as leaders, uh, Tosin Abasi, or you're talking about like, oh man. Ichido Ko or whatever it is. Uh, the Japanese guy who plays like the headless um, Ibanez guitar. Any, anyway, there's all these guitarists that are like really kind of famous for like innovating in these new and really specific subgenres that require, you know, certain kinds of gear, certain kinds of dress certain aesthetic for the music videos that they produce. You know, it's, it's all the same kind of thing. Every movement in music has this. They have aesthetics that they're defined by. They have sort of a, a de facto, you know, manifesto that becomes apparent over time, um, if not made explicit at the outset, you know, like, you know, 60s surf culture has a certain collection of traits that comes with it. You know, if, you, if you're looking at the, a band like the Smiths that evokes a certain set of images in your mind, notably just like a lo-fi, like, like uh, old photograph that's been like um, uh, duotone colorized and then, you know, with a plain typeface the, the name of the record and the band is, is, is printed on the upper left and lower right corners, you know, and set slightly askew, you know, it's, it's, it's just something like that. Um, you know, and on and on and on and on, you know, every metal band has a, a logo that looks like a thorn bush and they usually draw their names from disorders in some obscure medical dictionary they found and they happen to find a word that's uncommonly 
used and decide, hey, that sounds cool and sufficiently complex, and it's about 18 consonants, and it'll keep my buddy who likes to obsess over drawing really intricate things busy for a while while he, you know, sketches this out on a little piece of paper so we can send it into a t-shirt factory and be just absolutely shocked at how much it costs to print out our 47 letter long name or even better yet some of the like christian hardcore bands from like 2007 2008 or whatever who would have like entire sentences as their band name be like under the stars with martha or something like that it's like you know paradise drive or like (laughs) it would be like the name of the street that is clearly like a subdivision um that that their like rich fucking parents live in it's like sunset terrace or something like that (laughs) oh sunset terrace you know there's lincoln park but you know they spelled it wrong so it's like all right i'm intrigued by this band i can already tell whoever came up with the name is a fucking dummy lincoln park lincoln l-i-n-k-i-n like somebody it's like i heard greg barrett tell a story one time about um and he told it so well but he had a college roommate when he was at the university of oregon and he was like a big dumb jock guy and he was like the alpha kind of guy who like always got all the chicks at the parties and was just kind of a big dumb athlete and like he didn't have all his nuts and bolts there but there was one day and he was greg's roommate and there was one day he came into the suite and his roommate was in the shower and he had two fucking girls in there and he was just he was banging these girls in the shower and on the door he wrote a note that said don't come in here but it was d d it was c-o-m don't come in here don't come in here don't come in here (laughs) it's just that level of like kind of cretinism that you're dealing with um, uh, but I, I actually, in comparison, I like Lincoln Park a lot more. I think they're a lot more palatable music than, you know, a Skylit Drive or I, I played in a fucking band called We Are Desire. <laughs> it's like anytime you feel the need to take the negative med, meta step back in feeling the need to assert, yes, there is indeed a group of us here. We identify as we, and we are desire. You know, it's like us guys right here, we're desire. (laughs) You would think it would be a fucking George Michael cover band, which is a hilarious way to, to refer to a tribute act, like a George Michael cover band. I know George Michael had a band behind him, but like George Michael, you just think of like sunglasses and stubble. You know, you see nothing else. Sunglasses, stubble, and brilliant white teeth in defiance of the entire British Empire. Um, which works. George Michael, great performance, by the way. You got to watch if you haven't already is him performing um, Somebody to Love with Queen. 
absolutely outstanding. That's not a film, but that is something I've watched recently. And indeed, I've watched um, uh, a lot of um, other films. I watched another, I think it was a Robert Altman film. I watched The Long Goodbye, um, which is a Raymond Chandler story. So it's like a nice noir story about Philip Marlowe. And it's, I got to say, it's like the most stunning example of like committing to just having a cigarette in your mouth the entire time on, on the part of Elliot Gould. Just, I mean, just absolutely outstanding as Philip Marlowe. He's got a great scene where he's, he's, <laughs> he's a private eye. So like, the, I love the noir especially Raymond Chandler's noir, his private eye and Philip Marlowe, because they're, they're such liquid characters. They sort of, they're transient. They travel in and out of different scenes and happenings to piece things together, you know? So they just find themselves arriving at situations in the most inorganic way. And there's one where he just sort of sneaks up onto a conversation that's happening in somebody's living room as, as their front door is open. But the screen door is closed. He's on the porch sort of um, in a voyeuristic sense watching them have some argument. And then he decides to interject and he has his nose on the screen. And it's shot through the screen with his flattened nose and he's like he's like negotiating with some dangerous people. And it's <clears throat> I don't know. It's interesting. It's little things like that that I... I learned a lot from watching Long Goodbye. It was a great, great movie. Um, yeah, that was my kind of Altman afternoon. I watched The Long Goodbye, and I watched um, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Um, I finally watched Nope, which, um, I don't know, I thought it was okay. I think I joined... Uh, lot of people and that you know if I had to rank my enjoyment of Jordan Peele films up until this point I would say that you know I enjoy I probably get out um, followed by you know us and then nope um, maybe nope and then us I don't know I don't think it's particularly important to rank these things the ranking thing seems important to me if you're making a personal list that if you want to go back and watch a film that you have an internalized idea of like what you find attractive and repulsive, you know. Um, I don't tend to list things out because I enjoy a good movie or a bad movie on any given day. I was watching some uh, movies about... Um, I was watching some westerns. I watched, let's see, after McCabe, Mrs. Miller. I also watched, um, it was another one, Wild North, which was beautiful. That was like a Canadian film. Um, I also watched. I, I tried to watch Glass Onion. I just wasn't that interested in it. 
I kind of don't like Ryan Johnson after after he, you know, kind of pushed the ball rolling faster on Star Wars becoming a, a an ever self aware parody of itself. You know, I don't know. Um, what else did I watch? I've been watching all kinds of great movies. All kinds of them. Uh, I don't know what I want to watch next. I try to watch everything all the time, all at once. Um, and it was, <laughs> no pun intended, too much for me. So, I, uh, yeah, I didn't love that. But I've been enjoying the Criterion channel because I'm just finding a lot of things I don't think I'd be finding on Netflix or HBO otherwise. You know, there's a... Uh, I'm going to see the entire list I have here of stuff. Um... Uh, You know, like I earlier this year, I rewatched Slacker and Lawrence Olivier's Henry V, one of the most beautiful like films I have ever seen. I had no idea. Shakespeare, what a concept, you know. Shakespeare represents sort of a zenith of human achievement in literature, art, culture, and its relevance. You know, it remains an enduring sort of uh, North Star for, for for literature, even philosophy, drama, poetry, all of it. You know, it's, it's kind of the original film. Um, but Laurence Olivier delivers a great, great performance as Henry V. Um, and the set design is just stunning. The color is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Um, I watched Leon the Professional. I started Stalker and kind of felt like that was going to be a lot to take in. Everything that comes from Russia is just something that I kind of circle and I have intense interest in, in reading and fascination with, but I don't have the attention or patience to wade through just the intellectual weight of a lot of it. And Stalker is a beautiful film. Um, I haven't gotten into it, so I want to. Um, man, what else? What else? Um... What I like about Criterion Collection is that they have monthly and seasonal collections. Like right now, they have a few Hitchcock movies on there. Classics, Psycho, Marnie, The Birds. I'm going to watch Marnie because I've seen the other two. I have not seen Marnie, um, which has Sean Connery in it. That's, I mean, I don't find things like that, um, but 
on this channel. You know, when I look at, um, uh, like the horror on this, this channel, it's much different than I would see on like Netflix. Netflix, I see like a lot of monster things or something like that. Criterion, there's vampire movies, monster movies. There's a lot more like psychological thrillers and things like that. There's one that I watched the other day that was really good. That is, um, man, I gotta find what that was. I'm terrible with names and I gotta start writing this stuff down, you know? And it would also be nice if I had like sort of a list like YouTube of all the things I've watched already. It has stuff if you're in the middle of watching it that you can continue watching. It'll keep a list of that there, but it won't, uh, it won't show me, at least not that I can see so far, all the movies I've already watched. So, I'm forced to search by genre, like thriller or something like that, or suspense. Um, which, they've got a lot of great thrillers. I like crime thrillers a lot. I rewatched Prisoners with Jake Gyllenhaal and Hugh Jackman, which is very, very good. Um, and then I watched this one with Stacy Keach in it. That's the one I'm trying to think of. I think it's called Road Games. Yeah, that's a great, great one. He's driving a meat truck across the Australian outback. He's like a American guy who's inexplicably, inexplicably in the Australian outback driving his truck with his dog. And he's driving down the highway and he's being followed by and then passed up by this mysterious van all along his route. And um, it's it's being discovered that that um, you know he's kidnapping people and stuff like that, and uh, you know it, it just culminates in a really interesting way because all of this stuff is happening up ahead, and yet he's stalking the meat truck, and and Jamie Lee Curtis ends up being a part of it, and she's a love interest, and then ends up getting kidnapped, and blah 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 blah, and um, it's. It's a really cool movie. It's really awesome. Um, found that on the Criterion channel. So yeah, watch Road Games. Uh, Stacy Keach is, is is a classic. He's great. I found out about Stacy Keach on Christopher Titus's show in the early two thousands, late nineties, early two thousands, I believe. Um, but they've got, you know, they've got a, some collections in here of stuff that's directed by Orson Welles. Um, Road Games is directed by Richard Franklin. Um, and, you know, they've got all of the Kurosawa films you'd want to see. Rashomon, Yojimbo, Seven Samurai, um, you know, The Hidden Fortress, The Magic Flute, um, which is not a Kurosawa film, but, you know, there are, 
Um, you know, they've got a lot of Godard films, a lot of French New Wave films, if you're into that sort of thing, or if you're into learning about that sort of thing. There's, um, you know, some Richard Linklater films, if you're into the 90s sort of Austin, Texas indie film era, and sort of the characters and, and people who spun off of that. Like, um, gosh, what is that actor's name? There's a movie... Uh, that came out in like I want to say like the mid 90s like 1994 or something like that um, no it came out in 1998 yeah I watched it with <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember much about the movie, but I Tarantino, obviously, you know, that was sort of the 90s. He was making indies, but also had Miramax, you know, funding all this shit. Anyway, here we go. I got to talk to you soon. <laughs> 